The end of the world. That's my sermon title this morning. It's going to be a good one, guys. It's going to be a good one. I actually remember as a kid watching what I call now maybe, I don't know if it's too harsh to call it Christian horror, but I remember as a kid in Sunday school watching videos about the end of the world. And I don't know, maybe some of you had this experience too. And uh, in these movies, people are like raptured up out of their houses, off the roads, and other people are left behind. People who are surprised and they thought they were Christians and they're still there while all the more holy people are gone. And, um, and then the Antichrist is this creepy government dictator, and there's the New World Order threatening, you know, that we're all going to end up with a microchip implant from the beast, and it's all really, really scary. And I remember going home as a little kid, maybe a 10-year-old or 8-year-old, I don't even know how old I, w- I was to watch that, but you go, yeah, I went home, and I remember just being so consumed with, like, I don't want to be the one left behind, in the movie. So, so I would, on my way to school, I would just, every day I'd say, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. So Jesus, I pray that you would save me and that I, you know, I give you my life. If I didn't already, I can't remember, did I do that yesterday? And then every day I had to make sure, because I really, really, I had to renew that commitment to make sure I wasn't the one left behind. That was my fear. And there's a song R.E.M. sings, it goes like this. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. You know that song? Well, I didn't feel fine. It wasn't, that's not a song I like to sing. I don't feel fine. It it bothers me. It concerns me. Of course, all of that was before we had the European Union and the internet and tap or chip interact bank cards. Any of you have those? Oh my goodness. iPhones, drone package delivery, Facebook privacy sharing issues. North Korean nuclear missiles, global warming, and Donald Trump tweets (laughs) causing the end of the world regularly. You either love this stuff and you love to talk about it all the time. It's like consumed you. It's just so exciting to talk about all that. Or you never talk about it because you couldn't be bothered with it. And I feel like there's kind of like these two extremes in the end of the world kind of stuff. There's not a lot of people in between who are like, yeah, I kind of dabble in looking at the end of the world. It's like, you're either in to that or you're really not into that. And that's kind of the, 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 the deal. And what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all these messages and all these things? What do we do with the book of Revelation? How do we respond to it? What are we supposed to believe? We're in, not Revelations, in case you aren't sure. We're in Luke. We're back in Luke again. So we've been working through Luke. We started as we started as a church. We started in Luke and we've been taking little breaks here and there, but really we're working through this account, the account of the life of Jesus written by Dr. Luke, this guy who went out and he talked to eyewitnesses and he compiled this biography of the life of Jesus. And so we've been working through it story by story, passage by passage, and we're at Luke chapter 17. And we've also talked about how there's this message that keeps going out in all these different stories. And the message is that the good news is, is good news for everyone. Not just the Jewish people, but everyone. This was a good news message that Jesus was bringing about the kingdom for everyone. So let's hear what Jesus has to say about the good news for everyone and the end of the world. Let's see if we can do that, okay? It's in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 
to 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out and, or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. That's where it comes from. (laughs) There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, the most cryptic, cryptic of all Bible verses, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's not an often quoted Jesus passage, is it? Do you have that one on your wall? Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. No. And this is why we're preaching through the Bible, because I might skip this part if I wasn't preaching through the Bible. And yet, there is something for us this morning. The kingdom of Jesus is here and coming, and we can be ready and receive it with joy. The kingdom of Jesus is here and coming, and we can be ready and receive it with joy. The kingdom is here. Uh, On spring break, we went as a family down to Washington. That was like our trip. I don't know if I talked about it yet, but okay, I don't know. Anyway, we did, and we planned it that in our, the second week of our, our spring break, we'd go down to Washington for four nights, and so when we told the kids this, we said, hey guys, we're going to go down to a retreat center in Sumas and stay there for a couple of nights, and then we're going to go and stay in a hotel on points for two nights, and you would have thought we were going to Disneyland, the way the kids were like, oh, Washington, oh, Bellingham, I've always wanted to go to Bellingham, dad. I was like, wow, my kids are neglected, I think. I think this is the problem, really. But I mean, I was happy they were excited to go to Washington. And Miriam, who's four, she was really, every day she would say, Dad, when are we going to Washington? And I would say, oh, you know, we're going on spring break. How many more days? And then I'd have to tell her, and she would go look at the calendar, and then she'd be like, one, two, three. She'd be like counting. She knew which day had it on. She was like, every day. She was waiting to go to Washington. Oh, two more days, two more days, Dad, till we go to Washington? Yes, two more days. 
So we drive down to Sumas. We're at this retreat center. It's beautiful. We're having a great time. Second day, we're there. You know, all these fun things are playing outside. We're playing games. We're reading. It's just like wonderful. And Miriam comes up to me the one day and she says, hey, dad, so when are we going to Washington? And I said, oh, we, we are in Washington. And she said, hmm. This is Washington? And I said, yeah, isn't it great? She was like, hmm. She kind of walked away. I feel like this is how the Pharisees are responding. The Jews are waiting and they're expecting the kingdom of God to come. And they're expecting it to come a certain way. And Jesus, he, he encourages this idea that he's a part of the kingdom of God coming by saying things like, the kingdom of God has come upon you, Jesus says in Matthew 12. Or the kingdom of God has come near you, he says in Luke chapter 10. And people are like, oh, the kingdom of God's coming. It's, is it here? The Pharisees looked around and they said, is this Washington? Are we in Washington? Is this the kingdom? This is the kingdom? Because it didn't look the way they expected. See, there were some healings and there was some great preaching and there was some miracle action and there's some big crowds, but this is not what the kingdom was supposed to look like when it came. The kingdom was supposed to be visibly demonstrated by a warrior king who was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Romans and he was going to set up shop and they were going to have their country back and they were going to have their nation again and it would be under God and that would be the kingdom. But everything still looks the same. So they ask the question, when is this happening? Where is this happening? Because we're not convinced it's really happening. The kingdom of God, though, wasn't a political kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. It wasn't political. He wasn't coming to change the laws or set up a new emperor or even increase synagogue attendance or temple giving and sacrifice. It wasn't coming to do a talk show circuit. It was less like an occupying power coming in and more like a resistance movement. You know, in World War II, when the, the Allies joined the, the war and they said, you know, we're coming, and Germany had occupied a lot of Europe... And there were these groups, these countries that were occupied, and they said, no, we're not going to live under this occupation. We will resist this government, what it stands for and who it is, and we will fight for our country, our, the home, our home country, believing that someday it will, it will come back. And they resisted. They did acts of sabotage, and they did all sorts of things, working against the government that was over them in order to to. to demonstrate their allegiance to their true country. So the kingdom Jesus establishes with his death and resurrection, it's unexpected. It's stronger and more subversive than political power or rule of law. It says in Hebrews 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's this picture of, of in order to write something on our minds and our hearts, it can't be externally forced on us. It has to be born 
internally, something changes inside. It doesn't happen with trumpets and fanfare. Were you expecting trumpets? It doesn't happen in bloody revolution. It happens in acts of sabotage. And it happens gathered around the free radio as they all listen to the truth. Not the propaganda, but the truth. And they're listening. It's coming. The kingdom's coming. Jesus says in verse 21, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, is how he responds. He says the kingdom is already here. It's in the midst of you. There's a secret meeting that takes place in John chapter 3. Jesus is, is in this, in the dark at night. He's meeting with this Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, but that guy Nicodemus, he doesn't want everyone to know he's meeting with Jesus. And so he comes and he's got some questions and he says to Jesus, we know you're a good teacher and that you're from God. And I have these questions. And Jesus responds by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, I'm not sure I need to see it. And Jesus says, it's like you're going to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, what do you mean born again? And they have this whole conversation about becoming a new creation. And that's where Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the kingdom is subversive, but it requires our active allegiance. There's this movie, it's called The Zookeeper's Wife, and it's about a zoo in Poland and this family that runs the zoo. And so the Germans come in and they take over Poland and they take over the zoo. They kill all the animals or take them away. And this family is left, you know, what do we do? How do we live? What are we going to do? And they had friends who were Jewish who were being taken into the ghetto. And they're all being put in this ghetto. And it was really horrible. And so they started to say, we should do something. We should do something. And so they, on the outside, they looked like every other Polish family living in occupied Poland. And they, they ran a farm, a pig farm on their zoo. And they said to the occupying powers, they said, hey, can we have a pig farm and we'll feed your army? And the army said, sure, that's great. So they had this big pig farm. And in the midst of this pig farm, they were going in and they were taking Jews, putting them in the slop truck, hiding them, driving them to the zoo, hiding them downstairs, and then getting them out. And every night, she would play the piano when the soldiers had left and the Jews would all come out from their hiding places and sit in the living room and listen to music. And they were healed by love in the horror of what was happening. We bear allegiance to the kingdom of God here and coming when we love, when we live humbly, when we help the needy, when we extend grace and mercy, when we forgive, when we share good news, when we care with compassion, when we seek righteousness, when we serve one another. And God is moving in the everyday In the everyday moments of your life and my life, God is moving. The kingdom is here. And we believe that the war will end and that evil will be destroyed and the kingdom established. And we believe that this will happen when Jesus comes visibly and returns again. So the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. I distinctly remember, there's a a cartoon there. We have all these 
all these predictions of like things that are predict the end of the world. One of them is, is Halley's Comet. And so Calvin says, too bad the world will be ending tomorrow. And Hobbes says, beg your pardon? Halley's Comet. Comets are harbingers of doom. No, they aren't. That's just superstition. Really? Guess I'd better write that book report. <laughs> we have all these things that we thought, oh, this is going to be the end of the world. Like we just had that eclipse not that long ago. And there's all this, okay, maybe this is the end of the world. I remember Y2K, the year 2000. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that? And the year, to, we, everyone coming up to it, there's people, they're stocking canned food. There's some people, they're building bunkers under their house, like, you know, blowing up their computers ahead of time so their computer didn't blow up and take over or something. Everyone, like, people were nervous, afraid. We were all wondering what was going to happen. I remember where I was. I was sitting with my friend, and we're, like, waiting, and tick, tick, ding. It's 12 o'clock. <gasps> and we waited, and we went, I went to the window. I'm looking. I know there's still lights on everywhere. Oh, it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I, like, I kind of wanted something to happen now. And we have these things, these predictions that happen. In 2012, there was the social media popularized Mayan apocalypse predictions. And lots of teenagers were coming home being like, oh, I'm really worried about this. And parents are talking this through. I'm, I was talking with soccer parents on the sideline. They were, yeah, I had to talk my teenager down because they were really worried about the end of the world. And we have these things, these, these predictions, and they come and they go. And maybe for you, the return of Jesus feels a bit like this. It's like a little bit pie in the sky. Jesus coming on the clouds? Okay, well, I'll let you think that. And there's always been end-of-the-world predictions. That's what makes this, you know, complicated to talk about. There's Christians who, you know, uncovered the secret Bible codes or they have prophetic knowledge, and they say, this is the day. And then the day comes, and it goes. And then there's a new day. And then there's another day. And there's another day. And some of them there, I read the thing. It was like, there's just a whole list of all these predictions. There's some people's name on there like eight times. Like they just keep moving their prediction. I think at what point are we going to stop listening to that prediction? Jesus is clear. He says, don't follow them. These people claiming to have insider secrets. Uh, Dr. Charles Feinberg, a Jewish Christian scholar, said in the course of Israel's history, there were 64 different individuals appearing claiming to be the Messiah. 64. I'm the Messiah. No, I'm the Messiah. No, I'm the Messiah. And you got all these other people, Jim Jones and all these people. Oh, no, it's me. It's me. Jesus says, don't follow them. And there's a fear culture and economy that comes out of the end of the world. We like to, oh, yes, okay, well, I need to buy more stuff. Okay, that's good. Yeah, buy more stuff now. Okay, now that stuff went bad. Now buy more stuff. Okay. And there's a, a, a thing about money with it. And we go and we watch these movies, all sorts of movies about the end of the world, cataclysmic environmental disasters. How many movies are there like that? Or nuclear winter. Or zombie Armageddon. I don't know. Do you like those, that movie? I don't know. Maybe there's one of those. And I wonder, how does any of this help us? Does this make us more ready? Do we live more fully? Do we capture each moment because of the fear? I'd say fear doesn't empower you, it paralyzes you. Fear is paralyzing, not empowering. 1 John 4.18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So whatever your interpretation of the book of Revelation 
or your beliefs surrounding how or when the end of the world comes, those who love God do not need to be afraid. That's the beautiful message. We don't need to be afraid. There is a day coming, but if you love Jesus, it's the happiest day of your life. We're all going to know when it happens. And T. Wright says, it won't be a spiritual event that would need special discernment. It will be like lightning suddenly lighting up a dark sky. And that's the example Jesus gives. He says, when there's lightning, everyone knows. There's not someone sitting in their house being like, oh, I keep hearing the, that really loud noise and I don't know what it is. It's like the thunder comes and the house shakes and everyone knows there's a storm. Everyone can see the lightning across the sky. And we feel the awe of it. First Thessalonians, Paul writes this in, in chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, one of my favorite verses, we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So let me comfort you with these words. We will always be with the Lord. There's no part of this story where we're not with the Lord or the Lord's like, hey, see you guys later. I hope you do okay. This is the hard part. Bye. That's not happening. We're with the Lord. So we don't need to be afraid or live in fear. And Jesus tells us it's a day like any other day. He uses these two stories, two very common stories that if you've you know, been in Sunday school or heard this, the the these stories are very common. Genesis chapter 6, Noah and the ark. Um, a guy and his family preaching to the, the world around them. They build a boat, and there's no water. And Noah goes onto the boat, and he says, hey, there's a flood coming, and everyone ignores him. And then two by two, the animals come in to the boat, and everyone ignores him. And a giant invisible hand closes the door, and everyone ignores him, and then... The flood comes. And people were meal planning on that day, and they were wedding planning. This is what Jesus says. People were going on and on like there was nothing happening. They weren't ready. The other story is in Genesis chapter 19. It's the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not our favorite story, but an important one. These angels come into the town of Sodom and Gomorrah, twin cities, and they come into the town, and they are... Lot runs up to them and says, hey, you guys need to come into my house because there's some really nasty people in town and they aren't going to be okay with you staying out here. You need to come into my house. And within a few minutes, there's banging on the door. There's a crowd outside and they want to take these guys and they want to do horrible sexual things to them. And it's brutal. And the angels say to Lot, you're the only guy in this city that we're going to spare because this, this is a nasty place. And so they warn and they say, you need to come. And suddenly up the crowd outside goes blind. And still, they don't seem to care. And they go on with their day. And Lot and his family leave, not without trying to warn people. Hey, you need to get out. You need to get out. And finally, they're let out of town. And down comes the fire. There 
is surprise in these stories. People aren't ready, even though there's lots of signs. And it might be a good surprise or a bad surprise, depending on where you're standing. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that day happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right, but what is the good of saying you're on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream or something else, something that never entered your mind to conceive comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some and so terrible to others that none of us will have a choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming, it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover whose side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before now or not. Irresistible love or horror at the coming of God. So that begs my third point, which feels pretty important now, that we would be kingdom ready. I say, well, then I want to be ready. This still sounds a little bit like, mm, okay, well, I don't want to be surprised. I want to be ready. There's a guy who's late for a really important meeting, and he's driving around and around in downtown Vancouver, and he can't get a spot, and he's late. And so finally he, he prays. He says, God, if you will give me a parking spot right now, I promise I will attend church every Sunday and I will never drink vodka again. When he comes around for the last time and there right in front is the most perfect, beautiful spot. And he pulls up and he says, thanks, I got it. No problem. And he pulls in. He's like, I'm okay. I found a spot. You guys, the joke bombed. Okay. <laughs> he asked God to help him, and then he found the spot. Do you get it? No. Oh, man. Now you get it. Okay. <laughs> Cross that one off. We'll tell that again. Woo! The, the truth is, though, that we're like this. We, we ask God for help, and then we take care of it ourselves. Or we're like, as soon as it's working out, we say, okay, thanks, thanks, thanks. Okay, I got it. I got it. It's me. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to do it. And we live without him, even though he wanted relationship with us. And that's why I think Judgment Day is so scary. That's why I think I'm afraid of Judgment Day. Because there's this catch-22 that we all kind of know about. We want certain people to get what's coming to them, don't we? That everyone will get what's coming to them. We say, yes, finally, the mass murderers and the child abusers and the serial killers and the evil dictators and the rapists and the thieves and robbers and manipulators and the violent assaulters and the God-haters and the wife-beaters. We say, yes, yes, justice for them. But the problem is everyone will get what's coming to them. And then we kind of get a sick feeling in our stomach, maybe. Because it includes the proud and the disobedient and the liars and the gossipers and the angry and the fornicators and the judgmental and the rebellious and the impure and those, the addicts. And by addicts, I mean everyone who's addicted to anything. 
rivals, those in dissension or in division, idolaters, anyone who worships anything but God. I think, man, that's like a pretty inclusive list. And Isaiah, who had a vision of God, he falls at the feet of God when he sees God. And this is what he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. And that's why deep down I'm afraid that when I read that verse and it says, two people are in a bed and one is taken, I'm worried I'm going to be the one who's left. Because I know. I've made a mess of things. Repeatedly. I'm a sinner. How can I stand? And that's the good news. That's the good news. That Luke keeps saying over and over and over, and Paul will say it this way in Colossians. He says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, that's me. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him, before him. That's the good news. That's the promise, is that even though I'm a mess, Jesus' death means that I am brought before God on judgment day and every other day as holy and blameless and above reproach. So I come with confidence because of Jesus. And I still kind of want a manual for the end times. So I looked up survivormanual.com. And uh, it's resources and material that will help you to be ready for the end of the world. And by the end of the world, they mean like, there's no more electricity or the government or infrastructure collapses. How do you know which berries to eat? Like some of these very practical things. So I'm looking on this website. I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. I'm like, wow. And then I was thinking, how many people are on this website? I mean, like, shouldn't we all be on this website for the end of the world? Like, shouldn't we know all this stuff? So I went and I looked. They have one online user and 85 members out of the whole world, 7 billion people. <laughs> 85 members, and I was thinking, we're, we're going to be in trouble if they're right. <laughs> I'm going to live next to one of those 85 people. But my question is, how, are we, how am I going to be ready? How am I going to be ready for the return of the Lord? And Jesus tells us a few things. He like, gives us a survival manual, and this is number one. Love Jesus more than your stuff. Love Jesus more than your stuff. You can't take your stuff with you. It's not eternal. There's this billionaire who dies and the angel comes and says, hey, it's time to go to heaven. And the guy's like, I'm really rich and I need to bring my, can I please bring some of it with me? And the angel says, no, you can't bring anything with you. It's please just a little bit. I just need to have a memento of my wealth. And the angel says, okay, let me check. Okay. And he comes back. Okay, no, you got a special dispensation. You can bring one suitcase only. The guy's like, awesome, okay. And so he goes and he's like, oh, what am I going to bring? American dollars, euros, what's going to hold value? And he's like, oh, my gold bars. Okay, and so he fills the suitcase with gold and he drags it, really heavy, brings it. 
And the angel takes him up, and he meets St. Peter at the gate. And Peter's like, hey, what are you doing with the suitcase? You can't bring anything in here. And the guy's like, hey, I got a special dispensation. I can bring one suitcase right here. Peter's like, okay, well, I'm going to check it first. <laughs> Puts it up, opens it. He's like, what's this? He's like, this is my wealth. I get to bring some of my wealth. And Peter's like, you brought pavement? This is heaven pavement. Streets are made of gold in heaven. And the truth is that even if you could bring it, what would it mean there? Nothing. That's the, that is why the picture is that the streets are made of gold in heaven. I don't even know if that's like actually gold as much as the picture is your, what your wealth is nothing. So we discipline our hearts to love eternal things more. Second, readiness item for the end of the world is we love Jesus more than our lives. Jesus mentions Lot's wife. And that's a weird part of that story when Lot and his family are leaving Sodom and Gomorrah and it's being destroyed. And Lot's wife is leaving and the angel said to them, don't turn back, just go. And I don't know whether that's like a physical thing. Like if you look at it, you will be affected. But Lot's wife, whose heart is still there with all her stuff and her life is there in this place, turns back. And she's paralyzed. She's frozen. She turns to salt in the midst of it. It's a really weird part of the story. But as Jesus mentions this, it strikes me as he follows it up with the phrase, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. That's a phrase Jesus has used before when he was talking about, come and follow me. Follow me. Jesus says, don't turn back to some old life that isn't going to satisfy you and in fact will destroy you. Follow me to where there's life. And the third readiness item would be to be everyday ready, like the penguins are always ready. We don't, we aren't, we're not going to feel ready. Jesus, he gives this example. People are sleeping, people are grinding flour, they're planning weddings, they're buying cars, they're planting gardens. So we should live ready. We live ready. I had the conversation with someone, they said, well, what if the end of the world was today? What would you do different? I said, nothing. I hope I would do nothing different. I would live my life the way I've been living it with eternity in mind. So that if Jesus returns, I'm not afraid. I'm not, oh, no, I've got to fix everything. No, I'm living with eternity in mind. So we live ready, not with a bunker stocked with canned corn, but with a life stocked with kingdom activity. Our wealth isn't in gold bars under the mattress. It's in a cross-shaped life of sacrifice. And our hope is not in knowing the day and the hour. <gasps> oh, i got to know the day. Our hope is living each day in love in the kingdom of God that's here. So we're not afraid of the return of Jesus or death for that matter. That's why Christians aren't afraid of death because they say death isn't the end any more than the end of the world is the end. Because we have loved him for so long, we anticipate his coming. Miriam came up to me and she said, so again, my four-year-old, when we die, will we see Jesus? I said, yes, that's the promise. When we die, we'll get to see him face to face. And she said, then I can hardly wait. 
the kingdom of Jesus is here and coming, and we can be ready and receive it with joy. Some of us believe this, and some of us don't. Some of us have a hard time with it. And I'm here to tell you that stories are true, that he's coming back again, and we don't have to be afraid. The kingdom is here. Jesus established his kingdom at the cross and his death and his resurrection was the victory blow. And he opened the doors and he invited everyone to come in. And the kingdom is still coming. We're waiting. We're waiting for him to come again in power. And if you know and you love him, then you don't need to be afraid. There's no fear. It will be the best day ever. And we need to get ready. And we get our hearts ready for this day by loving Jesus, by pressing in, seeking him, seeking his kingdom, more than stuff, more than our lives. And we live each day in love in the kingdom that's here and it's coming. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that um, you talk about all sorts of things. And when you were here walking around uh, that you were giving instruction. Some of it was hard to understand at the time about your suffering and about you dying. And later they understood. And you say things about the end of the world too that feel sometimes hard to understand. But I thank you, Jesus, that there's nowhere where you're calling us to be afraid. In fact, you tell us repeatedly, do not be afraid. And so, Jesus, we live our lives in you and in your kingdom, not in fear of what's coming, but in a confidence that you have made a way for us today and every day and on the day you return, if we're alive to see it. And so, Jesus, I pray that for every heart here, that you would come and you'd bring that peace of, of knowing you and walking with you and following you, the peace that we are right before God. We don't fear judgment day. We don't fear um, God's reproach or his wrath or his anger or his justice because we stand in you. And I thank you that we can walk in that. We can walk in a life that has no fear, that is confident because of you. So Lord, would you help us to live ready, to live our lives in your kingdom with allegiance to, to a country that's better than this one. We believe it's coming. Thank you for your power and your glory that you sit on the throne and you reign. We say we love you. Amen.